This call may be recorded or transcribed. Good morning, Ernest. How are you doing? I'm doing Hello? great. You Thank there? you. How are you? Doing yes, I'm doing great. How are you? You're cutting yeah, off a little bit. Up a... Yeah, my headphones have been acting flaky. Like sometimes people complain that they don't work. I'll switch back to manual in a moment once I get the dog uh, set up. I need to take him for his walk soon because it gets really hot. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Let me. For yeah. It's for my son is leaving for camp or this weekend. Mm -hmm. My ear? My dog's ear is caught in the leash. Okay, that's fine. Thank you. Um, all right. Um, so what's happening with, uh, I think it's week five of the ZigZag project? Yes. Step five? Is it step five? Yeah, step five. Um, the path, right? Um, well, before getting to that, I added one more idea to the weird ideas. Uh, List, Five. Yes. Which great. Which I yeah, which I really believe in and kinda it kinda encompasses other ideas. Um and this is for the prime example of a strong and transcendental new organization type. Uh we uh, I propose the participatory humanistic democracy or path democracy for short. This organization type adheres to strict fundamental principles and values. Its source of income doesn't have to relate to the organization goals, mission, and purpose. Uh, and its source of income should be could be based on uh, the crypto industry. You know, organizations have to have. Uh, have to be Sorry, the what industry? Uh, I missed that the word. Crypto industry. Crypto. Oh, crypto. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, organizations, all organizations, you know, in, in going now and increasingly in the future, they have to be. They have to control their digital infrastructure. They have to be the masters of their security and their information, so that uh, people. Other organizations, other countries, are cannot hack them. You know, we have all these powerful companies and and even governmental governmental agencies that are so easily hacked. And you know, we have to stop that somehow, right? So we have to make an organization type whose fundamental values include a strong uh, digital. Uh, expertise and knowledge and technical know-how so that they, the, the people in charge and, and behind the organization, they're the ones who actually do the, the stuff. Yes, we're going to implement this type of security because this is how we uh, do things here. And people in the organization, uh, a lot of them will know how to approach those things. You know, Knowing how to manage the computers and things shouldn't be just... Uh, Responsibility of the you know uh, system engineer or system administrators, 
like a lot of the people in there should have that knowledge so that you know everybody should be a security expert to reduce the chances of being um you know catfished or 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 social engineered into disclosing information that they shouldn't you know everybody shouldn't should be able, should uh, pass those steps so uh, i think this organization type could be the uh, the um ideal type of most organizations you know right and, i think the one uh, one uh, one adjective i would add to your list is social cohesion mm-hmm. right because as the, yes. as you noted as the technical limitation gets tighter, the attack services become primarily social. And uh, this isn't, you know, that, you know, the, either whether it's, you know, phishing or you're deceiving people or outright bribery. Mm-hmm. Right? Where you, and so, um, you know, that is a, uh, but this idea, it's funny, this came up actually where I work in that, uh, we work in an AI startup where there's real-world consequences for the AI's ability. And so the goal is to promote safety. Um, uh, but then in order to have a culture where we have the data that we can use to help our customers, our clients become safer, we need to have a culture so we have sort of a personal safety goal as a mission, uh, as an organization. But in order to enable that, we have to have a culture of data security. Uh, and then in order to enable the culture of data security, we need a culture of psychological security or psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's this link between sort of uh, us as individuals feeling safe enough and having this level of trust with each other to having trusted data, to having our clients and customers trust us. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's a, that's a, you know that's, I think you're kind of coming from a similar perspective is that if you really want to create a secure uh, community, if you will, you have to be secure at all layers of the stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct, and it should be. Uh, it's not just a job. Like it would be, this is the community that I live in. The, the all my uh, uh, peers work towards one goal, right? And we help each other, and and we know each other. So yeah, like you said, like you said, uh, social cohesion is very important um, because um, that this organization community should think, should behave as one unit. So people should. Uh, have the same very similar values and very similar goals when it comes to purpose like after they look personally into what their purpose is and they figure it out then they could form or join organizations communities that have those that, that same value that same purpose so that um you move as a um like a called a military unit, you, you know, somebody, they, but it doesn't behave like it's, it's a democracy. Well, yeah, once, I, I mean, you know, yeah, this is the interesting uh, tension, right? Because the, 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 uh, the technical term for an organization that kind of has one will guiding it is autocracy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 
the traditional design pattern for pulling that off is you have one person, uh, a warlord, for example, who is chosen to exemplify what the community needs at that time, and the whole community agrees to follow them. As uh, and the assumption is that in this crisis, whatever freedoms we sacrifice are less important than the fact that we move as one. It's more important to be together than it is to be right or fair or things like that. So you can have someone who makes the hard choices, you know, which parts of the city to sacrifice, which battalions to send into war, whatever. Uh, the challenge has always been uh, twofold. One is that, uh, you know, if you have a persistent threat, you can't just have a warlord show up once every, you know, few decades and in the middle everyone gets lazy and you know forgets to trade and build up the defenses and things like that um and the second problem of course is that when people have that power uh they can't help but bias it towards their own idiosyncratic beliefs or needs such as their own family uh and you get all these you know nepotism and, and things like that so i think the uh so it's a it's a hard problem but I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, that if we can create enough, um, I guess voluntariness might be the word, right? where people have a freedom to exit, mm -hmm. they're not, you know, bound to this community. So there is a social contract, if you will, which gives people. Um, I mean, that's certainly what the American system aspires towards as well, right? It's to try to give something where you have the decisiveness of a president who can act as a rallying point, but we have a system of checks and balances and a culture of liberty that makes them have to earn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, earning trust and, and connection, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it, it is certainly still a hard design challenge to figure out what is the thing that you want people to feel allegiance to that is strong enough to enable them to act decisively as one and yet flexible enough that people can have healthy disagreements as to means. Um, but, you know, this, you know, I think the uh, this is certainly an idea, which you know is one. Is this idea? What was the phrase you used? Participatory humanistic democracy. Humanistic. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. like it's it's a great aspiration, um, mm -hmm. and definitely worth adding to the list. Yeah. Okay. So I added that to the list, and then I went back and did the um, this weeks or these steps. Um, Homework and can you review I, what this week's homework is? Uh, yeah, first you uh, ask, uh, go back to the ideas that you really liked and you assign them a score from one to ten, your level of excitement, and then the second, uh, and then um, how much, what are you willing to sacrifice to make that happen? Mm. And then who would help you, who could help you, you know, pursue it. So, um, uh, in the, in the case of the, uh, 
contact Mackenzie Scott or Melinda Gates or people like that, that you know, they are uh, very giving with their money. And so if you're looking, talking to them and see if we can get funding for uh, an alternative to their husband's or ex-husband's uh, major accomplishment, right? So in the case of Mackenzie, we have an alternative to Amazon. In the case of Belinda Gates, an alternative to Microsoft. So it's, it's looking for people who are have shown that they are given and that they are um, support good projects like uh, Mackenzie has shown, Mackenzie Scott has shown that. Uh, Melinda Gates, apart from her husband, I don't know, her ex-husband now, I think, I don't know um, if the, what, I, what causes drive her, but I think uh, empowering women and, and people with challenges would be one, one of those, or a couple of those. So, um, it's, I, I suppose that these are not people who are easy to just interact with. I haven't done it. I haven't tried it. But I would suppose that they are, but, you know, many, many people will um, hit them with ideas and they probably are drowning in them. Um, so yeah. I think there's a rule there that people who are generous with their money must be stingy with their time. Yes, yes. Right. So maybe they have a group that they pay to uh, go through those ideas and send them just the very best ones. Maybe they are really engaged in, um, like uh, Linda Gates is in, in LinkedIn and they uh, would love, oh, they probably go through all their uh, suggestions that people and messages that people send them, depends on how they manage their time. So with, uh, I guess with, uh, I think that with a good plan, a good, you know, idea and and, and something that they can imagine uh, being created, uh, we could get uh, such a fun thing to create a, a project. And this this idea was mostly who to get funding from, not exactly what the idea is. So maybe we can have to combine it with something else. Okay, and oh. What was I your level of excitement on that one? Yeah. Seven. My level. Well, the score is seven. Yeah. Seven is my level of excitement in this one. Uh, did I? Oh. The other idea was that instead of competing for customers, organizations should find ways to <coughs> to cooperate in solving cohorts' problems the most effective and helpful ways. So. Instead of uh, somebody or a group of people uh, getting an idea, having an idea, and then uh, finding uh, angel investors that, uh, or, and having to research, okay, who are the competitors here? Who will have, who will we have to take down, or at least offer uh, significant competition so that we are the winners? Right? They have to show that they dominate that industry. And then they can go in and and clear out the uh, 
the, the competitors. That's how the venture capitalists or the uh, possible investors will get excited because their excitement is making money. So they have to show, yes, we are so good and we are so uh, progressive and, and, and cool that people will like this idea. You will get a lot of growth and you will make a lot of money. So, so it's actually I, funny. It's actually worse than that, by the way. Uh, one of the interesting things mm-hmm. about venture capital I learned, I think I may have mentioned this before, right? I had hoped it was something pure like greed, but actually it's more something base like fear. Is that at that level, the, um, the, the vision of venture capital is really about, and I think it literally was, originally chasing whales. Right. If you fund a boat that's going to go uh, hurt, you know, if it, if it catches a whale, they make a big ton of money. And if they're unlucky, everybody dies. And that's what mm-hmm. the idea of venture capital was, is you put up your money, someone else puts up their personal risk. And uh, because of that, uh, to your point, uh, just making money is not good enough. They have to make a killing, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, where they end up dominating an entire large market. And that the and then there's also the whole uh, the story they tell themselves about what they're they're investing in. So yeah, the the, the challenge right is that what has someone said is that uh, I think Peter Thiel may have said is that uh, the goal is not to beat the competitors. The goal is to eliminate the competitors because you want to be the the last mover that dominates and defines the market. And so it's, it, it is in a, even though there's a certain amount of positive sum value creation, the mindset is sort of zero sum, as we discussed mm-hmm. before. And so, yeah, so that it is, it is um, difficult, or at least, you know, the traditional VC funding systems are all about this, you know, zero or one binary thinking that, you know, there's a huge market and you own most of it, uh, or you're not worth spending time on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be fair, yeah, there are uh, other groups that are trying to have a different mindset. Uh, I don't know if any of them have broken out, but the, the guys at Base Camp and there's a group called Zebras. Have we talked about Zebras before? Yeah, uh, yes. Right, yeah, as opposed you to unicorns. Yeah, but, uh, I also heard about them from my friends on Zigzag. So, anyway, so yes, uh, uh, the so the uh, you mentioned okay, so you talked about the the negative thing is the traditional VC zero-sum, scorched earth, you know, winner-take-all vision. What's the alternative you wanted to pitch? Uh, this is the uh, having a cooperative uh, way mm. of thinking. Like, right. okay, yeah, we have an idea, and this is a great market. Uh, uh, maybe we have a different take on it. I have to make it fit into this capitalistic you know, way of life that we have. So we have mm-hmm. the produce money, but let's say produce it with ways that are compatible with the values of the people who want to invest in it. Not, it's not just their money. You know, they have a lot of money. They have so much money mm-hmm. that they're going to give it away. So you, you have to like bubble up to the top, like, okay, not only are they going to invest or use the money that I give them really well, but they are going to follow values that I share with them. Right. Values-based investing, I believe, is the, is the term of art. Oh, values term. Okay. Yes. Yep. So that would be great. You know, companies like uh, this, this company that makes 
clothing. Paragonia? It's famous for that. Oh, Paragonia, yes. There you go. His yeah. company is, is, his founder believed in that. He, so much so that when the company was making, was, you know, making a lot of money, make, being successful, he's like, no, we, we're making too much money. We, we, we shouldn't uh, continue this path because it will take us to places that we don't want to go. So, yeah. you know, he, he, right? He wasn't big. He didn't want to be ma- a maximalist when it comes to like making money. He wanted to be, he wanted his uh, values to be in the company's operations. So he did things that other people found um, disagreeable and, and terrible. Yeah, it keeps the company. All the people look at the company and they look, they look. Oh, this is very good. The the company has these values, and you can see them uh, adhering to those values in everything that they do. So it's highly motivating. Yeah, the uh, the best articulation of this was John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, who talked a lot about Mm -hmm. stakeholder capitalism and values and how you know you have the right values you hire the investors who support those values. Um, the irony, of course, is that uh, ultimately their cor- the, 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 the danger, and this is the, the, the challenge, is that when you are successful, uh, you can give up your margin to uh, live out your values. But if you are in an existential threat, and then the, qu- the question is, do you live out your values or do you do whatever it takes to stay alive? And, you know, he ultimately chose to sell to Amazon, which to be fair, Amazon has left Whole Foods more or less the way it is. But it does kind of put a pause. And this has always been the challenge, right? Is that, you know, uh, I do deeply admire people like Patagonia and Whole Foods who really do live out their values. But uh, I think this gets back to your point about crypto and and democracy is that uh, at the end of the day, if there's a small number of people who can make decisions, if they face an existential threat, it's hard to expect them to die rather than live in accord with their values, uh, which is where uh, this idea of you know, shared ownership, uh, uh, democratic ownership, or cryptocurrency to uh, spread out the ownership becomes important. Mm-hmm. Very important. You know, yeah, having, another phrase um, that I've heard uh, is investing in ecosystems rather than individual mm-hmm. companies, right? So uh, one of the things that's happening in the data space is it used to be dominated, you know, a lot by well, first of all, it was dominated by just homegrown custom software because there were no tools whatsoever. But then over time, it started getting dominated by these big uh, SaaS players. Um, and mm-hmm. Snowflake is kind of a big integrated player that's kind of owned in modern data stack. And the alternative is increasingly uh, sort of these open source rebels where, you know, a large portion of their stack is open source so as to give customers ownership of their own data and the core technologies for accessing their data. And then they sell mm-hmm. a proprietary layer on top of it. And one thing that you'll hear some of these players talk about the smaller ones, obviously, but, you know, uh, the, the interests are aligned, is that like, hey, we are trying to be part of an ecosystem. We're not trying to own the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's yeah. an interesting, um, another way of thinking about it is that you have 
this interesting mix of uh, open and proprietary code, uh, you know, open source communities, commercial companies, and there is, uh, you know, and I think this is, there's a there's a there there, right? Is there were people the legion is to being part of the ecosystem, and their their shared goal, if you will, is to avoid an alpha male coming along and conquering the whole ecosystem and annexing it. Uh, yeah. And right. And interestingly, that's typically how societies tend to evolve. Is you tend to have, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the Greeks are the classical example of this is that the Cretans, like the Minotaur and stuff, they were the dominant empire for a while, and the Greeks rebelled and broke off from them, which is what they talk about with the myth of Zeus uh, uh, slaying the Titans, and then they became this fairly vibrant ecosystem of city-states, which would clash with each other, but would also unite against external forces like the King of Persia. And that lasted for, you know, a, few, uh, a couple hundred years, maybe longer, is kind of the golden age of Greece. And then eventually uh, the external threat waned to the point that they got consumed with internal bickering, and then an external conqueror came in the form of Alexander the Great, who was kind of a cousin, and he took over and, and uh, you know, unified it into the, 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 the Greek Empire. And the, the, you know, the, the, the moral of the story is, is that, you know, nothing lasts forever. But, you know, with modern technology and better design, you can make something more resilient and more robust. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a viable path forward, right? Because you need to sort of have a, a common enemy to keep people united. And I think actually the idea of, you know, we exist to um, learn how to be autonomous within our ecosystem and to keep the ecosystem vibrant, right? And that's one of the things, actually one of the positive side effects of capitalism versus say militarism is that if your company is conquered, you just get absorbed by the new company, right? Or you can go off with you know the, uh, the 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 buyout and found a new competitor, right? So even if your company dies, you don't die, and all your skills and learning are transferable to other things within the ecosystem. So um, mm -hmm. there's something there which is very much market-based as opposed to sort of the state control of communism, but is in some sense market-based but anti-capitalist, if you will, right? Mm -hmm is that it's not yeah. about building the large pile of capital so you can be the alpha male controlling what everybody else does. It's really about, um, we all have our little pile of stones and we squabble over who gets the center of that stone, but you wanna keep our stones ready so that if an alpha male comes in, we can all you know, stone him and keep them from taking over. <laughs> and you know, one, so one can imagine that you know, a crypto enabled community or an ecosystem where you have competing vendors within that platform. And again, I think that's what like, people like Ethereum are trying to create. Um, um, I don't know if they're gonna succeed or if, how consciously they're doing that, but there is an idea, right? Is that we're all part of the same ecosystem. We have a shared stake in keeping this decentralized ecosystem not under the control of any one entity. But within that ecosystem, we are encouraged to compete um, you know, in order to deliver better services. 
more efficiently to people who are there and mm -hmm. uh, express our, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, rivals for better expressing our shared community values, I think is the positive way of looking at it. You get the benefits mm -hmm. yes. of a market economy of competition with hopefully without the downsides of regulatory capture and cronyism that traditional financial capitalism uh, celebrates. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and they use that as an excuse for mistakes and, and illegal acts, whatever. Oh, I was just looking out for the benefit of the shareholders. That's, you know, you hear that all the time. Like, mm -hmm. like um, you know, I, I was just following orders. It's the same thing. Like, Yes, Seth Gordon had a rant. Yeah, Seth Gordon had a rant about the distinction between clerks and merchants. He says, you know, uh, the, 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 the phrase he was keying off of was calling Britain an army of shopkeepers. And uh, the point was that, well, you know, this, when you think of shopkeepers, it's important to distinguish between the clerks who are just there to follow orders and the merchants who are trying to create new markets and find new ways to serve customers. And his basic argument is we need more merchants, people who are genuinely trying to figure out how to create value for others, and fewer clerks who just hide behind, you know, I just want to do my job and stay quiet. And, you know, we all have that tendency at times to want to not have to be responsible for everything all the time. But the goal is to be more mindful of those choices and realize that it's sort of a luxury rather than the norm. Mm -hmm. That the norm is to be fully human, right, is to actually take risks, to create value, to uh, understand the bit larger impact of our cases. And that, yes, of course, we can't do it all the time because it's exhausting, but we rest and we recover and we indulge ourselves so that we can do the hard work of being human uh, again. <laughs> yeah, that's why, uh, actually, Let's move on to the other two ideas uh, because they, you know, reflect all this. Um, mm -hmm. So we were talking about uh, smart. Oh, huh, there's another one. Okay, we were talking about McKinsey's card and getting money from them. Now the other idea is is, is actually the one that is kind of separate from this is the smart document editor and publishing system that we talked about last time. Like uh, having writers be able to encode a lot or a lot more information in a document that's called that, that is, is smart. So that when it's document is accessed by somebody else, but is read, uh, it, the system um, helps the reader by syntax coloring English, which is another idea, but we can include it here. So that the document is easily scannable, it, it, you don't have to process, uh, you don't have to use a lot of brain power just to decipher what is there, which, which we get that in English sometimes, the way that phrases are structured, you have to, okay, I just read this sentence, but I have to read it again because you know, the subject and the subject are kind of mangled. Even though it is correct English, it's, it's kind of hard to get, especially for uh, foreign for people that are whose uh, native language is not English. Um, so, it's, 
So this system will allow readers to actually interrogate a document. So, you know, what do you mean by this? And the document will be able to um, give some answers to that. In, and if not, you know, go outside of the document and get more information. But instead of the reader having to just Google a word or a term and getting term, uh, getting Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. I think. Oh my God. No, no, it's me. Uh, I think. I, yeah. I think I just dropped off. I'm like, yeah. Well, I got to stop. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. It happened last time. So, yeah, what was I? Um. Yeah. The document. The smart document in public. Public. Uh, uh, so it it's a way of uh, maximizing a writer's uh, con context while writing a document or developing a, doc a document or creating a document so that the reader can get more information from that document. It's not just, if I don't know the term, I just Google it. No, the writer puts the definition in there so that uh, the reader can get uh, what the writer intended. Just It's like similar to yeah. how uh, theaters have DH, uh, Dolby, Dolby whatever, and, and THX, THX and all those systems that allow the viewer, the audience, to experience what the director and editor wanted to for you to experience. So we use all these speakers around us so that we can be immersed in the movie. So, uh, you know, if you watch a movie in a theater like that, you get the best experience. You can also watch it on your phone and, you know, you, you see the same movie, but you don't get the same experience. So it's, it's right, we talk about reader-friendly yeah, reader friendly augmented documents. Yes, exactly. And I gave this excitement score of nine. Uh, because, you know, it will be, because it, it goes through my values of giving people information, the information they want, and the information they need, right, and also the one that they want. Um, but they're empowered by getting that, and mm -hmm. and you know it could also be a, a source of income. If it's done. So Ari, uh, know, there's even better acronym: Reader Empowering Augmented Document or Read. <laughs> oh, okay. Reader, that's good. Reader empowerment. Reader empowering. Empowering. Mm -hmm. Augmented Reader document. Empowering. This is awesome. That is a really awesome uh, acronym. Okay. So, yeah, uh, this got a, a score of nine because it would be really exciting to do and to participate because it involves programming and not just programming, it's analyzing uh, uh, how to manage information, how to encode it in, in a system. It, it's it's great. It's very exciting to participate in this in this kind of project. Um, yeah, of all, yeah, of all the things we discussed, by the way, I think this is one of the more uh, tangible and novel ideas we've come up with. You come up with. 
So by the way, you didn't say what your excitement level was, was about this idea of sort of a cooperative uh, market ecosystem. Oh, yeah, that was uh, where the organizations are not competing. Uh, yeah. Cooperation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I give it an eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, then that's my document. Editor and policy system, I gave it a nine. Um, and let's discuss the last one that I added because it, um, well, okay, let's discuss the last, next to last one, which is to provide restaurants an alternative to food delivery companies, uh, charging less for delivery. In providing businesses and deliver uh, providing businesses and and the drivers who deliver more options. Um, I got this idea because I heard a podcast where they were discussing this uh, food delivery systems, you know, the Uber Eats and and others, um, and they were uh, the restaurant owners were. Um, saying that these companies are like a cartel, that they behave like uh, thugs. Like if, you know, they take over their phone system, somebody calls and just gets information about the restaurant, oh, now you the restaurant owes money to the delivery company. So that's not cool and that's not good business. You know, the uh, owners are upset that they have to deal with these companies. So I think uh, providing them both owners and drivers with a more humane system that doesn't charge as much um, and it's, it's more organic. You know, it's, you don't come, uh, you don't get to Uber Eats and then they di- dictate how you run your business. You know, it's more like the restaurant owner has their values, the drivers have their values. And, Schedules, you know, things that I have to accommodate, and all that you put it together, and it's just free. It, you don't have to pay anything because it's not just like people talking to each other. So, in in this ideal, you um, it's not like like we discussed earlier. It's not competition. It's not it's, and it's not uh, gouging people for money. It's more like cooperating. So, I have a restaurant. There are people who want to you know bicycle or drive because they have time or whatever um, let's put them together and let's provide a service to the consumer um, but you know let's build the systems that can do that and offer them to anybody for free you know you, if you participate in this kind of uh, organization and environment it's it's an it's a new thing it's a that is like building roads that other companies can drive on, or, you know, use, but that they are totally free. Uh, you might just pay, uh, well, com- almost totally free. You have to pay a little. You have to pay a little bit just to operate the uh, the system, the environment. You know, computers, electricity, but uh, the pur- the purpose is not to make money off of these people. It's to help them do their, uh, you know, accomplish their goals and their mission and purpose so it's, it's kind of do, it's kind of inverting what people 
looks you know, for today. Oh, how, how can I make the most money? We are going through you know, bad times. We need to get more income. Otherwise, we, we die. Well, if you were, were a, a type of organization that we're talking about, then you say, well, uh, we can't operate like this. This is not our, uh, you know, we're not perfect for this market, or we just can't match it. So you might be able to decide to uh, break up. You know, you cannot accomplish the mission that you published because of whatever reason, you're not good for the consumer and the environment is not good for you. You're, you're not getting enough income to survive. Enough um, humane income. Let's call it like it's, it's not dodging companies and businesses, but just getting enough to uh, operate and, and be able to just continue your uh, your own purpose, which would be to uh, drive, uh, provide driving services to others or whatever. So it this kind of work inverts that, in, yeah, inverts it. Um, and to this, I gave it a nine. But, okay, so yeah. yeah, yeah, a couple of thoughts on that, but you can finish your mm -hmm. analysis. Yeah, so th what you're describing is so there's there's two there's two different um, well there's two different things running here. One is that you're talking about building a platform, and the challenge mm -hmm. of building a platform is that um, uh, this is it's a three-sided market, right? You have the vendors who are the uh, you know, the store, you have the customers, and then you have the supply, the uh, delivery people. And mm -hmm. the problem with the, the federal market is that the vendors and the uh, drivers uh, would, prefer to, would prefer to keep their maximum share of the profit. So just playing. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. Uh, is that the um, uh, the the reason why you know the the vendors and the delivery people are complaining is that the market the networks that succeeded were those that privileged the customers and those that privileged the vendors and the delivery people did not succeed because the customers mm -hmm. decided that uh, you know it wasn't worth it and so uh, platform design is hard and platform mm -hmm. governance is hard and so. This is the um, um, and you know the problem with vendor-owned markets is that they tend to privilege the vendor, and if you don't have a monopoly, you can't force customers to participate. And mm -hmm. you know people complain, but you know, certainly there are a lot of onerous terms and platform gouging that happen. But on the other hand, like uh, the alternative is what we had before this, where there's like all these different networks, and you don't know who's on which, and it's a mass confusion, and it ends up. Stunting. And this is the tragedy, right? Is that having an mm -hmm. alpha male emperor to impose consistency and standards does, in fact, lift all boats uh, in the short term, right? Because it makes mm -hmm. it that you know people can you get a market that is clearing, so everyone who wants to pay for something can get it with a minimum of friction. Uh, the danger, though, of course, is that the the alpha male who created this then ends becoming a tyrant and extracting. So the the um, what tends to happen actually with all these networks over time is they start by entrepreneurs who have to do a lot of hard work to figure out what would actually work, right? And there's a lot of design, a lot of iteration, a lot of experimentation that needs to happen. And then 
there is a period of time where you get one alpha male who actually figures it out and they build an empire and they get outsized returns for a period of time. And then what eventually happens is that the network gets federalized or regulated or nationalized and the profits mm-hmm. go away. So, so the, uh, you find that happening with roads actually, right? Originally it was private toll roads or things where an emperor needed it for his army. And then it became a commodity over time. And so I think part of it is looking at, okay, where are we in the life cycle of this thing? Is this actually a well-understood problem where we know how and where to charge? Uh, and the answer is probably not quite yet, right? Um, because there's still a lot of iteration design. You can't just build something and have it work, especially in an open market where there's competition, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if someone's gonna offer a vc back company that charges customers less and gives them a faster delivery time, you know, customers mm-hmm. are gonna choose that over the one that is vendor friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so, so you know, I, I, there is a certain natural logic to these things that you can't, you know, but that's the thing, the, the, maybe we're going to talk about market or state or whatever, is it a voluntary system? And if it's a mm-hmm. voluntary system, then you kind of need, um, you know, you're constraining what you can, you have to constrain yourself to what people will actually be willing to participate in because they have a net benefit, even if it's not as much as they think they should. And then, mm-hmm. so that's the first piece. And then the second piece is having some sort of, um, like we're seeing now with the backlash against big tech with all these bills, is some sort of external accountability system says, okay, you've done some good social good in creating these platforms, um, and you know you've reaped a lot of profits from it, and that's fine. But now you are changed. You know, the very your very existence is changing the rules you grew up in, and therefore we need to change the rules around you to rebalance things. And you don't want an overly eager state that crushes people so that there's never any innovation, but you don't want an overly lazy state that just lets crony capitalism run wild. And that, um, you know, striking that rebound and then and knowing when it's time to say, okay, uh, like in the data space, it's like, okay, we have enough of these big vendors here. Now it's maybe time, uh, there, there's a wonderful, or almost wonderful, I think I came up with it, but a, a progression where yesterday's heroic development is today's expensive integration is tomorrow's commodity feature. Mm. Right? The way that you, you get these properties are going away is the things that, you know, that were ridiculously expensive. It used to be like only really big companies could do this as a heroic effort, right? Where they build these things out from scratch under great pain. And no one's ever done it before, like the original build out of Facebook's pages or Twitter's anti-fail whale or Google's search rank. And then uh, the next stage is where, okay, it's no longer heroic, it's a repeatable thing, but it's really expensive because there's a small number of people who have the expertise to do it. And they can generate outsized returns for a while. And but then the last stage is commodification, where you know a DuckDuckGo can stand up a search engine um, mm-hmm. because it's been mostly commoditized. And it's not, uh, you know, it's no longer, so anyway, um, so, like, I think the, the, the thing about food delivery is an interesting one, but it's just a little too early, right? Is the market is not yet ready for commodification. You know, maybe in a couple of years it will be, uh, mm. but there's a question of timing there. So, anyway, that was the uh, context I wanted to okay. uh, provide around that, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's good. Um, so, um, we go back to the first idea I mentioned today, which is my last one that I added. 
a currently new type of organization that is connected to technology uh, by default or you, know, you have to because technology is what is going to drive society from now and into the future so you have to be in there uh, you have to have a way of enforcing rules automatically because you know we can come up with all kinds of rules and regulations but people and, and, and companies find ways to go around them but if we uh, accept well this is how we're going to do things we have smart contracts and we have all the systems to support that kind of automatic decision making or, or transaction uh, monitor or enforcer then in, you know if people accept that then we know that everybody is playing by the exact same rules that there's no uh, um, benefit to one person or one organization or another over the others because they all use the same system to interact with and, and they all use the same rules um, so that transparent transparent universal rule books yeah mm -hmm. transparent universal rule books mm -hmm. is that what you said okay yeah um so yeah it, transparency um people can see everything that you have done um so this is really new it's like oh you know a company that sells widgets or whatever or things uh would have to, uh, to participate in this they have to disclose all kind of uh, things including let's say their inventory level so we have this many ready this many in production um so that others can hook into that and then provide help to the con the, the, the customer or consumer so there's a store in some town that sells this particular thing and interact with another store or or a distributor area and they want to give the customer yes we have this right here in the store or no we don't have this right now but uh it's, it's coming or they can even point to a a peer another store that does have that, that uh, the item so with uh okay, let, me, universal... let me pause for a second yeah yeah pause for a second because my, my, my brain is trying to digest this this is really interesting so historically there have been kind of two ways of organizing the means of production. One is sort of capitalism, where you have these private firms, which, you know, uh, when they become public firms, they have to report certain things on a quarterly basis. But they're always very stingy mm -hmm. about it because they don't want to empower competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've had the, so that's sort of the, the capital-centric, like those who have the golden rule, those who have the gold on the rule. And the other has been the mm -hmm. state-centric. Um, what I'm hearing is this is almost like a third perspective, which is, for lack of a term, let's call it data-centric mm -hmm. uh, organizations, whereas the means of control is uh, really about, uh, it, it's not about who owns the means of production, it's about transparency over the means of production. Exactly. And that yes. you actually, a, a good example of this is in the olden days, uh, buying a car was an exercise in negotiating skills. Uh, because you had no idea, the, the dealer knew exactly how much all of his cars cost, and therefore uh, haggling was a high art form uh, mm -hmm. because you had to figure out how you could get it. And then, but then over the last 
you know, decade or two, the internet basically democratized all of that, uh, starting with Kelly Blue Book, I guess, before that. And that means mm. that the information asymmetry went away. And right now there's enormous information asymmetry. Like for example, the uh, uh, CEO knows exactly how much everyone is paid, but you don't. Mm. So, you know, if all the women are paid a third less than all the men, they don't know that. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the uh, the idea of uh, a transparent economy, if you will, with transparent governance, transparent data is a radical one, but an intriguing one. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that yeah. uh, because if you if you built a system where all this data is, is, is it um, it blurs the nature of the firm. Right, because if you have, and what's interesting, a lot of people are working towards versions of this. I have friends working on governance issues and data aggregation issues. Uh, we started kicking around the term a data ocean. People talk about data warehouses mm -hmm. and data lakes. But one can imagine yes. a world where you just live in a state ocean where every organization's data is available through standard APIs. And the line between, you know, like I as a customer have a right to create an order in your system and you have a right to bill me is you basically exchange these rights. Um, and then, you know, where you are in the organization becomes much more fluid. It's not these monolithic, uh, you know, feudal domains with, you know, a duke at the top who controls everything. It becomes much more these, uh, um, you know, there's still relationships, there's still trust, there's still units of, you know, shared accountability, shared responsibility, like a company, but it's not the same, um, you know, whales and guppies that we kind of have now. It's, um, I guess, let's call it a, a, you know, a data-centric transparent economy. That's not a great acronym, but at least mm. that seems like the kind of thing you're talking yeah. about, right? Is that, is that it's built around transparency of data as the um, um, both as an enabler of greater economic efficiency, but also as a way to guarantee uh, fair dealing. Mm -hmm. Yes, you need a, 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 a third party like the, the technology that is not vested in benefiting one person or the other. It's just in computing uh, contracts and, and enforcing them. And mm -hmm. people people trust that because they can see that system. They can see the source code and all that. And that's why people trust it. Yeah, and we also transparentism, have maybe, as opposed mm -hmm. to capitalism or socialism, is the belief that you actually make everything, yeah. Is you make everything transparent enough, you actually get far greater efficiency uh, and cohesion, right? Because everyone's operating off the same set of data. Mm -hmm. it, it eliminates yeah. a lot of sources of competitive advantage, but that's okay. Uh, it, it means that people have to really work hard on the things that uh, that gain them, uh, make them more efficient or more effective than their neighbors, and there is still a reward mm -hmm. for that. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it tends to be shorter lived, uh, but, you know, there's, there's, there can be different vehicles you create where people have, um, you know, patents or something like that, where, you know, people can't trivially copy what you do 
uh, it becomes too hard to innovate and and try risky things. But anyway, I think it 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 it, it certainly you know has its own failure modes, but it has very different failure modes than both capitalism and socialism. And maybe mm-hmm. that's a worthwhile trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I gave this a score of ten because I feel that it encompasses all you know most of the other ideas that I have. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to provide, yeah, providing a framework by which uh, a lot of communities can interact and and operate and guide themselves. You know, you, I think we talked about um, uh, in a pre, in a previous episode. We talked about you talked about uh, rules that uh, can be coded and that you, people can you know fork all these rules so that they can mm-hmm. create their different systems. So um, the, the users actually make their own rules, right? And they say, these mm-hmm. are our rules. And uh, people that want to interact with us would, you know, they should do the same rules. So if, if you want to interact with us, okay, then incorporate our rules into your system of rules. Mm-hmm. And, and they work like that. So, right, I don't remember which episode it was, but you, you mentioned something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I that I contributed that as a way to automate the legal system. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, judges that lean one way or the other to me, and then and they rule on those personal leanings, uh, where some, some other judge might do the opposite, right? Uh, to me, that's that's not that's terrible because then the rules that are written are not enforced the same way in the courts. So if you right, so if we codify, yeah, go ahead. So I think there's a worth caveat to main is that the thing about data, there's two things about data that are worth noting. One is that data is always about the past. Okay, hmm. predicting the future is always going to be uh, a a speculative art. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second part is that uh, someone was telling me digitization is an act of violence. When you force something to be you know, zero or one, you mm-hmm. are kind of making an arbitrary choice because the real world is analog and squishy. Mm-hmm. And so what you always find out is that at every stage in the system, there's always edge cases that do not uh, mesh well. Right. This is the reason we have juries. Right? Is that like people can present data, but you have to kind of look someone in the eye and say, yeah, I believe them or no, I don't. And there's consequences mm-hmm. of that. And I don't think there's any way uh, around that. So the, the, the best systems have to be uh, not fully automated, but they, have to be, but they should be fully transparent so that what can be automated mm-hmm. is, what isn't people take responsibility for? Yeah, excuse me a second. All right, I gotta yeah. uh, wrap up. What was the, uh, but, you know, this was really, and it was also kind of a great summary as well as you went through all these ideas. This is really good. Uh, was there anything mm-hmm. else on this week's homework before we wrap up? Uh, just well, so that. Was like know, level of excitement and then there were the other two. What were the other two questions? Um, what will you sacrifice to do this? Will you sacrifice, uh, will you sacrifice a job or you know your savings? into this uh which i've done so 
I, I yeah, I'm familiar with that. And then who do you have somebody to help you? So for both of them, I say yes. For all of them, actually, I say yes. And who can help me? Uh, well, you were the first person that <laughs> I would look for, for assistance, you know, in ideas and things like that. So I do have, you know, that I do have something uh, or someone to help me. And then we, we just have to find other people, you know, experts. Uh, in the legal system or whatever to make sure that, and I'm thinking just about the the uh, what you this uh, this new type of organization that it is it, really exciting to me. It, I think um, that it could be a, a, the next step in um, incorporating technology and with social benefit purpose so that. You know, we are more efficient and, you know, we don't end up just litigating ourselves out of problems. You mentioned that you know, there's, you know, gray areas and, and always uh, edge cases. But for the most part, we should be able to leave it to technology that we trust. You know, right now we have technology that we do not trust and technology that the, if the operator is not an expert, uh, the system is going to be hacked and, and fail in several ways. So we need to uh, be more mindful and focus on really making our technology strong. Like, you know, when you build a highway system or a road, mm-hmm. you, put in, you put in a foundation, you know, you do all kinds of things. You uh, clear out right, the plants. Right. The last piece is you have a human being who is liable for if the road is built badly, right? There's an engineering firm who signs off on the bridge and says this, like that's a professional engineering field as opposed to software engineering have long had this where there's a sense mm-hmm. of liability. And that's the, that's the thing is you want to, uh, you want to fairly appropriate risk and liability. Uh, yes. You can't eliminate it, but you can appropriate it transparently and fairly and crypto could help with that. Uh, exactly. So there's a social piece, there's a trust piece, and there's a technical piece, and a financial piece, and getting an alignment is definitely, I think, um, there's a lot of interest moving in that direction. Transparentism is an interesting label that might actually work to um, unify some of these into something that people can start building, and then we have to figure out an MVP or a minimum viable demo and all that. But anyway, okay, uh, anything yeah. else before we wrap up? No, that's it. Um, um, I think the next one is, will be the last homework. So, and I still owe you a couple of memos that I will send to you because you know I haven't hadn't really finished them until just now. I, yeah. Yeah. So we got me the other two, which I appreciate. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. So no, I'm, right. I'm I'm done. All right. Great job, Ernest. This was really good homework, and uh, I think we're moving somewhere, and I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm already starting to create a list of people. Maybe we can do a follow-on interview talking about, you know, wherever we end up at the end of a season six, or the episode six, is maybe doing a couple of bonus episodes with people working in this space to see if there's some traction there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Great. I'm excited to go Thanks. forward and get it into reality. All right. Goodbye, Ernest. All right, Ernest. Goodbye.